Thank you, Josh, for bringing the uh, music to kind of set us up for this. I love how we build in our worship into setting up for preaching and, and Jesse with the prayer. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the great equalizer, our own humanity. Uh, you look around this room, and every one of us has in common that we will live, we will die. And in between living and dying, we're going to stumble, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to sin, and most of all, we are going to be afraid. We, like when we see little children and they're afraid of Disney movies may be scary to them, little things may be scary, and we think, oh, I've grown so past that. But how often are we scared of basic things? And how often are we fearful? So much so that Scripture speaks of fear more than any other human weakness. The greatest command in Scripture, anyone know? Should know this one. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Because we are constantly afraid. We are constantly fearful. When we speak of fear, we're talking about fear as in being afraid, not the fear as in reverence to God. We are going to look at both of those this morning. But there is a difference. And that fear of being afraid, it's, it's a good thing. God has given this to us as a, as a defense mechanism. The reason we're afraid is so we won't walk off a cliff or go jump in a lake if we can't swim. It is given to us for self-preservation so that we, we keep ourselves alive. Fear is a good thing. That's, that's why we don't stick our hands into fires. We know that, that, that pain and, and fear are built in so that we will stay alive. But I want to challenge us this morning that fear is made to be great brakes, but a terrible steering wheel. Fear is given to us as brakes when we're, when we're heading full speed toward a wall, but it is a terrible steering wheel. You understand the difference? So many people use fear as a steering wheel. That they direct their lives and their thoughts and their actions based on what scares them. Based on what will lead to their, their, their comfort, to their security. Fear is a good thing if it stops us from crashing into a wall. But fear is a terrible thing if it stops us from doing everything else. And it's a very dangerous thing when we run everything through the filter of our fear. Well, this makes me afraid, so I shouldn't do this. And this makes me afraid, so I shouldn't do this. Because that is contrary to what God has called us to and what God has done for us in Christ. But this goes hand in hand with our human nature and our, and our fearful nature. So what do we do when our fears conflict with our faith? And we have to think about this. Which one prevails? Do we let our fears drive and our faith come along behind? Or do we let our faith redefine and, and drive our, our fears? Push through them because of our faith. And so, how do Christians keep this in perspective? And before we jump into our text, I want to look at Romans 8, one of the most encouraging passages in all of Scripture. Anytime you need encouragement, Romans 8 kind of speaks to, to, to everything in the Christian life. But right in the middle, picking up in verse 15, Paul speaks to this. And I want us to keep this in mind as we read through this passage this morning. What does it mean to be in Christ? What have we been called to? We've dealt with adoption a couple times in the last few months. What is the state and nature of our adoption? Picking up in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. And in the previous verses, he talks about slavery being, being in line with the flesh. And so slavery and fear and flesh, that is the old man. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Adoption into the family of Christ, union with Christ, is the opposite of fear. We're given confidence in him because now we can call out to our Father as little children. Because of the work of the Son through the Spirit, verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is the answer to our fear. God has called us by name. He has made us His children. He has sealed us with His Spirit. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. Suffering and affliction are guaranteed. This life is not meant to be easy. But that is for our good and for our faith, as we'll see as we as we unpack this this morning. So I want us to look at this text in line of your adoption. If you are in Christ, if you are not, I also want you to pay attention because you should be fearful. But if you are in Christ, know who your Father is. Know what your identity is. So providentially, as often happens, what I'm reading ends up being great illustration. When we're thinking about fear, I've been reading Tortured for Christ. I don't know if anyone has read this. Um, Richard Warmbrand was talking about Marxism and communism. Uh, he was a pastor under Lenin in, in, in Russia and unspeakable torture for the gospel. I mean, insane. Nails getting ripped out, stabbed and sliced up hundreds of times, beaten, frozen, starved, meant to eat their own feces. This is how serious it got. The, how, how much they hated God. They made them, at gunpoint, have communion with their feces and their urine. They said, we are God. Your God is nothing. We have never known fear like that. I'll just share one little excerpt of what they did in that fear. So he says this, It was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners, as it is in captive nations today. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this received a severe beating. A number of us decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. Let's stop there for a moment. Pay the price for the privilege of preaching. This is how highly they thought of proclaiming God's word. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. Direct quote here. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching and they were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. That is how you preach the gospel. That is what fear looks like when faith is all you see in the midst of it. That is incredible. And reading it this week, I was humbled and convicted and floored. Because, man, I have never gone through anything like that. I have... I've heard a lot of complaints, but never been beaten while while preaching. They should be an encouragement. And I'm going to draw a few more examples from that. So I also want to connect that to why we pray for Pathway Learning. We have, since my time here, supported them as a ministry. And they support churches around the globe, but mostly in persecuted countries. Right now in the underground church of, of China, Steve Childers has been a great mentor of mine, um, but their classes are in jeopardy. These are believers who 
have no training, have no opportunity for the gospel to be brought, uh, to, to the Bible to be taught to them. They have the gospel. They may have one Bible per church. They will, they will share digital files, but they can't hold on to it because of fear of imprisonment. And now the same communist Marxist ideas want to suppress them, want to throw them in jail. And there are many Christians in jail and in concentration camps. And let's pray that in their fear, that the Lord would strengthen their, their faith. That they would not give up their, their study. That they would not give up proclaiming the gospel. They would not give up encouraging one another. And that we, if ever we face that, that we would be prepared in our faith to not be governed by fear, but to trust in the Lord. Whether they beat us or imprison us or just call us names, that we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Amen? So as we think about getting into this text in Mark and dealing with fear, as humans it's something we, we can't escape. And so we're going to look at a storm that made them afraid, but we may not be sitting in, in, in a boat, and maybe we have, but there are storms of life. There are difficulties that seem to come out of nowhere, and there's no shortage of things to be fearful of. So as we think through this this morning, I want us to think about this question. You know, not if storms come, but when storms come. What will we do? We have never faced persecution like the underground church in China, like those in communist Russia. But will we be, what will we do when fear comes? Will we be ready to, in our fears, trust in Christ? And what's really important in this, this passage is to know who Jesus is. It is important to see his humanity and that he felt human weakness in every way yet without sin. Why is this important? Why are we going through the book of Hebrews? And if you're not coming to Wednesday nights, I, I hope you do. I hope you I encourage you to go through the book of Hebrews with us. I mean, Jonathan referenced Hebrews 4 last week, but I think it's really applicable this week. So I want us to look at it again. Knowing who Christ is is so important in our fears. The book of Hebrews declares all that, that Christ is is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. But what does that mean to us? Think about this in the light of our fears. How would we approach the things that scare us and intimidate us if, picking up in verse 14, we have this in mind? Since then, we have a great high priest. This is Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Hold fast to what we believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence drawn near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. As we look at this passage in Mark, see it through the lens of Hebrews 4. Do we see our own fears and our own weaknesses as we come face to face with the disciples' weaknesses? Do we see them in light of our high priest, in light of our help? Or are we so consumed by what stands right in front of us that it clouds our vision of Christ? And we're going to see His grace and His love here toward His weak disciples. And it should be a comfort to us as we see their weakness and His response in their weakness. And knowing that we can always draw near to Him for help. Alright, so long enough on the introduction. Mark 4. 
starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in their boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are all-powerful, all-mighty, perfect in all of Your ways. Without spot or blemish, perfect unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. Our God, so strong and so mighty, yet how often we are so fearful. Lord, encourage your people this morning. Encourage us in our weakness and our fear. Remind us of how great you are when we see our frailties. We don't see them just for what they are. We see you. We look away from our circumstances and our anxieties and put all of our trust in you. We pray that your spirit would teach and guide and convict us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love this account because this is such a complete story. We get time, we get place, we get circumstances, we get the players, we get tension, we get this intense dialogue, we get the, the, the reaction and the resolution and all this stuff. And it's such a complete package. And what's interesting about Mark is, you know, Mark, we've, we've said before, but Mark was a disciple of Peter and most likely heard Peter preach this many times. There's details in Mark that are not in any of the other accounts. Little details like Jesus asleep in the stern and the pillow and the other boats and things like that that kind of bring us into it, into the eyewitness account. Because Mark wants us to feel like we're, we're there. And bring up the drama so that when we get to the climax of this passage, we will see how amazing this entire event is. So let's jump right in at verse 35. And we're going to look at the setting quickly. This is, we're not going to spend that much time here. But on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let, it, let us go across to the other side. Uh, as we know, we'll see next week in verse five, or chapter 5, the other side is the, uh, the, the Gerasenes, just going from Capernaum to the Gerasenes on the other side. And so that's the uh, first thing. When evening had come, this is still the same day we've been looking at for the last two weeks. So Jesus uh, had been teaching in parables for a while, and then he taught with his disciples for a while, and now he tells them we're going to go to the other side. And they left the crowd, and they took with him uh, in the boat, just as he was. So he was teaching them from the boat. They stayed in the boat and went over to the other side. And there were other boats with them. So often we can think that this happens in a vacuum. It's just Jesus and the disciples. But there were other boats, and that's going to come in later. So uh, put a note in that. We'll look at that more later. So that's the, you know, that's the uh, retreat away from 
the, the crowds and Jesus is going away to rest. And, and of course, if the day wasn't long enough, verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Look at these details. This, this, work, this word for windstorm, it's whirlwind, sea quake. And if, you don't, if you're not from the, uh, the Jerusalem area, if you're not fr- familiar with the Sea of Galilee, they're 600 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains. So you get high pressure, low pressure, uh, heat coming up from, uh, from, the, from the sea. So these storms could come up quickly, and they were, and they were violent with these cool breezes brushing, rushing in. And these are violent terms. Think about this. I mean, this is not, they don't have life jackets. This is not a, a, a modern craft. This is a handmade wooden boat with a bunch of supposedly seaworthy fishermen who are terrified out of their minds. If a bunch of fishermen are afraid, that's a bad storm. And this is not them just getting rocked around a little bit. The boat is filling with water. Waves coming over the side. They are terrified, and understandably so. And this, the first thing we're going to see here, this should remind us of our humanity. How out of control we are. How often we try to control the circumstances around us, but just as quickly a storm can rise up and this boat that was perfectly seaworthy just a moment ago is now filling with water. And how the powers of creation, we are powerless against them. And it reminds us of our frailty, of our own fear, and what would we do in this situation? And similarly, how about the storms of life? How often does it seem like the storms come up with no warning? Everything was clear and calm just a minute ago. Now all of a sudden, the boat's rocking, water's coming over the sides. What do I do? We, we panic in the, mo- in the moment. We live in Florida. And so we get hurricanes, but we get a warning. You know, they usually end up to be nothing. But usually a week or two in advance, there's a big hurricane coming. We get to plan. We get to prepare. We, we like that. We like planning. We like preparing. All right, God, tell me what's going to happen. Tell me exactly uh, what, what I need to do. Tell me how much rations to get, and I will prepare for whatever you're sending my way. But God rarely does that. Why? Because if we trust in our preparation, we wouldn't need to trust in him. And I would argue that he doesn't tell us because faith is not much faith if you know what's, what's coming. So God wants us to trust him all the time, whether this is the the seas are calm or they are rough. So that when they are rough, our faith is in place. The time to grow your faith in the Lord is not when the wind starts picking up. And so many people do that. So many people assume everything is going to go good. If it can go well, it will. Nonsense. We live in a fallen world. It will go bad. Guaranteed. What will you do when it gets difficult? And we're going to look at how the disciples respond here. But before that, I want us to think about just kind of setting the stage. How do we respond to storms of life? How do we respond to difficulties? And this is, there's going to be a lot of self-examination in this. So if, if I keep stepping aside and saying, think about yourself as I'm thinking about myself in this, uh, more is coming. Jonathan last week looked at macro and micro kingdom, but I want to look at macro and micro fears. Let's be honest for a moment. In a time when COVID is on everybody's minds, the election is on everybody's minds, the civil unrest is on everybody's minds, these, these macro things that seem to affect everyone everywhere, what do we do when we see those things? 
Now, it's not a bad thing to be, to be cautious and aware of what's going on, but should we be consumed by them? It breaks my heart how many times I see people consumed by them. How many Christians I see fearful day in and day out. Oh, the world is going to hell. It's no different. It always has been. We live in fearful times, but Christians always have. Praise God we don't live under true dictatorship. Praise God, praise God we have never gone through a plague. But how does our faith view these things? Is, is, our, or is our fears driving? Or is our faith driving when we view these things? Okay, what about a micro level? And I'll get a little closer to home. Finances, family, health. Things that impact us very personally. Maybe struggles that no one else knows about. Are we so consumed by our fears? Are we only seeing the waves and the water crashing over the side of the boat? Or does our faith help us put it in perspective? Are there any of you living in and by fear? Afraid of the one thing to the next, one thing to the next. It must be exhausting. Do you only see the storm forgetting who's in the boat with you? And this is important for us to see. There's, I don't want to allegorize this too much. But when the disciples are fearing, they did forget that Jesus was right behind them. Right with them in the same boat, going through the same circumstance. That is what it means to be united with Christ. He is in us. He is with us. He is among us. We are His. We are in His hand. And so the disciples learn a valuable lesson here, and I hope we do too. Because while all this is going on, while their fears are right in front of them, that's all they can think about is, Lord, I'm scared right now. What is Jesus doing? This is emphatic in the Greek. Look at verse 38. But... Ship's about to go under. But he was in the stern. He's in the back, asleep on a cushion, on the cushion. There's only one, and Jesus is on it. Jesus is really comfortable, and the rest of them are freaking out. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He's sleeping through the whole thing. So either he's a really heavy sleeper, and if you can sleep like that, God bless you. I wish I could. Or maybe he has that much peace in the Lord. Just saying. So why was he sleeping? Why include this detail? Why couldn't it just be Jesus was on the boat with them? One, he's a man. He's human. He's tired. Two, as we've already said, it's been a really long day. If you don't remember how long this day has been, well, if you look back at chapter 3, he enters into the synagogue, and he heals the man with a withered hand. So he's, he's healing in the morning. And then picking up after that, him and his disciples get surrounded by a crowd, and he's casting out demons healing, casting out demons, walks up to a mountain to appoint the 12 apostles, gets into kind of a little skirmish with his, with his family uh, who thinks that he's crazy, and then he gets into a confrontation with the Pharisees who say he's the devil, and then he sits down with his disciples to teach and even can't get peace in that because his mother and his brothers still want him to come and follow them. Then he teaches the crowd in parables. Then he pulls his disciples aside, and explains the parables. None of us have ever done that much ministry in a day. Most of us have never done that much ministry in a week. He's a little tired. So he withdraws, and he's, and he's sleeping. But I think most importantly here, 
when you have, com- that's what complete confidence in the Father looks like. That ministry may have wiped you out. You may have no human energy left, but he is in complete peace. The waves don't bother him. The storms don't bother him because he knows who holds him. But on the other hand, there's the they in this verse. And they woke him and said to him, they, the collective rebuke of the disciples, they in unison, there's, there's no dissension here, they're, they're all on the same page. Do you not care? Wow. The audacity to say to Jesus, do you not care? And this, this, this word here is not just perishing. This is really strong. This is not like, hey, we're... we're um, we, we might die or we're in danger. They're saying, we're being destroyed. A little dramatic. Like a boat full of teenagers. This is the worst day ever. This is the worst storm ever. We're going to die. The irony of them saying that to, to Jesus. They spent this entire miraculous day with him. They seen a man get a withered hand healed. They seen demons cast out. They saw him confront the Pharisees, heard all this amazing teaching, and they said he doesn't care. How often have we done that to Jesus? In the same day, we have seen him provide, and then we get scared and say, do you really care? How many times have we treated Jesus like he's asleep in the back of the boat and has no idea what's going on? And it's, and it's easy to judge them. Be careful, because we've all done the same thing. But what is most important, and the, the irony here is that fishermen ask a, a carpenter for help on the sea. It's just, let's not even talk about that. <laughs> but what's important here is that they do go to him. They are, they're, they're consumed with their fears for a moment. But they do go where they, they should. And what is most important is they know where to go in fear. So also remember that these are the insiders. I might have forgotten this, but he's the ones who, these are the ones who he drew near. And he said, I'm, I'm giving you the, the, the secrets of the kingdom of God. I am revealing eternal truths to you. These are the mature ones. These are the, the apostles that were, were, were set apart. These are truly his disciples. And, and we should think, well, they should, if anyone should be exempt from storms, they should. If we don't realize it, many of us think that we should be exempt from storms. Well, Jesus, I've been, I've been faithful. Don't you, don't you love me? Why would I go through this? If the apostles needed to go through storms to grow, so do we, even more so. Because if, if you're honest with yourself, all of your greatest lessons have come in difficult times. All of your greatest times of growth have come through affliction. We don't grow when, every, when, when the seas are calm. We grow when our faith is tested. We grow when when we are beaten by the waves of life and we have to cry out to God. When we have to go to him because we have no other choice. That is when we grow. How many of us, show of hands, were were so stubborn until until they were broken, they had to have everything else removed before they would go to the Lord in prayer? The rest of you are lying. We all have. Because we in ourselves, we we want to save ourselves. But so often we need to have every bit of earthly comfort taken away so that we will go to Christ in prayer. Storms can be a good thing. So I want to give you one more example uh, from Tortured for Christ. So he talks about the benefit of persecution. 
These are not just people who were, who were called bad names on social media. These are people who had their entire bodies beaten, scarred, every earthly comfort taken away. And this is what he says. Persecution has always produced a better Christian. A witnessing Christian. A soul winning Christian. Communist persecution has backfired and produced serious, dedicated Christians such as are rarely seen in free lands. Think about that for a moment. These people cannot understand how anyone can be a Christian and not want to win every soul they meet. He goes on and on to say how heartbroken he is when he comes over to the West and people take their Christianity for granted. He said, in the persecuted church, there are no lukewarm Christians. Because you know at any moment you say the name Jesus, you could be beaten, killed, separated from your family. But it produces strong, faithful Christians. This is not an easy thing, but brothers and sisters, we should pray for affliction. We should pray for persecution. Because, like Romans 5 says, it is for our character for our endurance look at romans chapter 5 it's going to be on on the screen but look at the connection look at what two things paul connects here romans chapter 5 verse 1 therefore since we have been justified by faith we are in christ we are we are his we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, in which we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is in the context of struggle. We have been given faith. We have been given God's grace to stand in it, to stand confidently. Not only that, verse 3, but we rejoice in our sufferings. This is a uniquely Christian thing. No other person on the planet can sing while they are being beaten because they get to proclaim the gospel. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. Amen. We can rest in storms if we remember who is resting with us. We can rest in these things. We know that Christ's work is finished, and we are are in Him. Nothing that a storm or a boat or persecution can do to take that away from us. And we rejoice in it because it is for endurance and it produces our character. Those who run from difficult things, blame God and point fingers, they will not grow. But those who run to the Lord and and cry out to Him will grow. So how does Jesus respond to this? They're all frantic. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Notice what he does not do. He deserved to rebuke them first. They deserved it, every bit of it. But he doesn't. In his grace, he doesn't rebuke them for rebuking him. He calms the troubled waters first. There's a reason for that in just a moment. But there are, there are two commands here, and these are, these are interesting. One is an active command. Silence. Or, or, or peace, in, in my power, quiet. But also there's a passive command. In the Greek, this is literally, muzzle yourself. Shut up. Shut up yourself. 
giving the, giving the wind a command on what to do to itself. Christ in his power, by his power, and by the, the, the wind's own volition, if that's even a thing, commands them what to do. He is in control of his command and their response. Two commands by Christ, and then two responses. The water ceases, and there's a great calm. It shows how amazing this is, because if you've ever been in a storm, when the wind stops, the waves are still crashing for a while. Immediately, everything is calm. Jesus changes the weather faster than Florida weather changes. From violent, we're going to die, to peace. I mean, imagine their jaws would be on the floor, and so would ours. Jesus' power did that. So I want us to think about that for a moment. By the very word of his mouth, that he spoke creation into existence. He calms the storms. And just a real simple question. This is not going to be a deep theological sermon, but I want us to think about this. Do we trust his power in the storms of our life? Do we trust that at a word he can calm the seas? Or do we think that he's going to let this go on forever because he doesn't love me enough? The same power that spoke the world into existence and calmed the seas is the same power that raised him from the grave. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Our God is powerful enough to stop storms and raise dead bodies. And it is through his resurrection that we know his words to be true. That the grave could not hold him, the storms could not hold him. But how often do we constrict his power? How often do we think that he's, that he's not able, he doesn't care, or he's asleep in the back of the boat? Because every one of us, if we look inside ourselves, has done that. Lord, this, this hurts. And all I can see is, is, is hurt. And whether we, whether we admit it or not, we don't, we don't believe that you either will do it or are good enough to do it. This is such a great example for us that we can rest in his power like that he can stop a storm like that he can remove whatever is going on in your life but he doesn't because it's for your good and if you're still struggling it's because you haven't learned your lesson yet typically it's best to surrender and repent and then get on with it but often there are seasons of life that the lord is teaching us things that we couldn't learn in our own time there is there's a lesson in that boat that they couldn't learn on shore and he does that in each one of us because he loves us. And there's one more thing in that. Remember earlier I said, remember the other boats. Because it wasn't just them. This is a beautiful example of God's common grace. That Jesus is teaching his disciples a lesson. He's showing them his power. And all the rest of these boats, the water calms, calms for them too. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's common grace. That rising tide raises all ships. And that when, when God removes affliction from his, his people, there are benefits to those around, whether they realize it or not. Amen. So we get the disciples freaking out, Jesus waking up, his response. Now, if you thought he wasn't going to rebuke them, he is. But first, he calms, the, he calms the, the sea so that they can listen. Anyone 
like them, like when, when, when something crazy is going on and, and, and you're frantic, you won't hear any logic. All right, I got to calm the storm so you can, you, can, you can calm down for a moment so you can listen to these questions. Because what Jesus does is his most striking teaching is always when he's asking questions. He's always asking probing questions. He could just, he could just rebuke them right there, you idiots. Didn't you just see everything I just did for you? But he asks very probing questions. But most importantly, he listens to them. And he responds to them. He, he, he hears their cries. And isn't it incredible that he does that with us too? We, we open with Psalm 40 this morning. And I want to just look at a couple of verses in Psalm 40. Again, I love Psalm 40. Look at how this psalm opens up in verse 1. I love how honest David is. And now, just side note, if you're not honest with the Lord in your prayers, you should be. You should be as honest as David is. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of, of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet on the rock, making my steps secure. This is exactly what He did to the disciples. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Why does God allow us to go through difficult things? So that when He pulls us out, we praise Him and other people praise Him for it. Amen? Look at verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me and your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. That is our comfort. In the storm, that is our comfort in the affliction, in the, in, in the difficulty. You will not restrain your mercy from me. God's promises to David are promises to all who come to the, the king of the house of David. For evils encompass me beyond number. It may be storms from without or it is often storms from within. How often do our own sins like waves beat against the side of the boat and we feel like we are, we are drowning in our own depravity? My, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head for my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Picking up in verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Even in their weakness, Jesus does them the courtesy of calming the storm before he rebukes them. He's showing them he will ever preserve and care for them. So, when he asks these, these two questions here, they are very striking. Why are you so afraid? This is not the typical word phobos, which is just fear, where we get phobia from. But this word is, why are you failing in your fear? Why are you being cowardly is the, the, the literal here. Why are you acting like cowards? Ouch. One, why are you acting like cowards? Have you still no faith? Still, this is what hurts. Because everything that just happened in the same day, 
how much have they already seen and they still don't believe? They had knowledge of the Messiah. They've said, we're going to leave everything for you. We're going to walk behind you, but they still don't have faith. It still hadn't taken root yet. They knew of him, but they didn't really know who he was. And as you walk with Jesus, your faith should grow stronger and deeper. But fear is so hard to overcome. And how often are we guilty of the same thing? It's easy to say we have faith when things are going well. It's easy to say we're faith. Hey, Jesus is casting out demons. Jesus is healing people. He's, he, he's teaching. This is great. I love Jesus. Faith, is, faith in Jesus is, is easy until storms come, until the boat gets beaten. So we've got to be careful about judging them and do a little self-examination here because how often have we done that? And, and if they thought they were afraid already, their fear is going to escalate. Look at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. Think about this. Mark and Luke tell us it's a combination of fear and amazement. This is more awe, reverence. This is, this is the, the, the fear of the Lord. They were really afraid when the storms came in. Now they're really, really afraid because Jesus stopped the storms. This is what the fear of the Lord looks like. If you've been so in awe of the word, word of God, you're like, who is this? He stops the storms by the very words from his lips. There is no shortage of things to be afraid of. But when you compare it to the fear of the Lord, it doesn't come close. Do we fear the Lord like this? That we are stopped in awe and amazement like, who is this God who spoke the world into existence? Who is this God who speaks to me through his word and, and concepts my brain can't understand? Who is a God who would take on flesh and go to the cross for me? Who is that? Who would do that? I wouldn't die for you and I like you. He died for me, and who would like me? Who is this? That is a fear that is honoring to God, being afraid rightly at who Jesus is. And there's a great application here for us. Notice what was lacking in their faith. They followed Jesus. They say that they believed. But did they really know who he was? Because in this, in this question, they're still unsure. Who is this? I know the guy. I know the teacher. I know, I know the healer. But this is something different. Okay, cripples and, and, and demons and parables, that I get. But stopping storms? Only God has control over nature. Have you still no faith? And their eyes are continuing to be open. But I think this is something interesting here, that knowing Christ rightly is the secret to faith and overcoming fear. You are going to continue to be scared if you don't know Jesus rightly. If he is anything less than almighty God and fully man, you have right to be afraid. And that's why they're scared, because they didn't fully grasp who Jesus was yet. They were still unsure in their mind. We look at those words in Hebrews, consider Jesus. This is what they started to do, maybe for the first time. Who is this? Consider Jesus. Consider his person. He can't be an ordinary man. Consider his work. They haven't even seen the resurrection yet. Consider Jesus. 
And everyone must answer this. Everyone must answer this question. Do I believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Am I following the Christ that is fully God, fully man, or is he a Christ of my own making? Was he too small for my problems or my salvation? Or am I just like the disciples? I've been following for so long and I don't even have faith. There have been many people who sit in pews or seats day after day, week after week, and do not know Jesus. Consider Jesus. Do you truly know who he is? So here's how I want to conclude this morning. This story, this account, is an amazing witness of the amazing work that Jesus does in his fearful disciples. They are cowards by his own admission. But they grow from men who are afraid to perish in a storm to men who will all perish for the sake of the gospel. John is the only one who made it to old age. Every other one of them would be killed, tortured, beheaded, or crucified. These fearful men in the boat, through the, the work of Christ, his spirit in them, become bold, faithful men of God. This is also what he desires for us. This is also what our adoption calls us to, out of fear, into confidence, looking in our Father's eyes, that we no longer be afraid of the natural processes of the world, that we look upon Jesus, consider Him, and know who He is rightly. He is almighty over every action in the universe. There are no out-of-control molecules, as Sproul used to say. But at the same time, He cares for us listens to us, intercedes for us. The same God of creation, the same power over creation, the same power that raised Him from the dead, that power now intercedes for us as our high priest. That same God who identifies with every weakness, who stopped that storm, who drew us up from the pit of our own sins, we can confidently and boldly go before Him. If that doesn't affect your fear, nothing will. We can go boldly to the one who helps us in our weakness. Run to his perfect love as it casts out fear. That should be the first place you go. And we learn that from the disciples. So I hope this is a challenge and an encouragement, but I hope you do some self-examination this week. How do I face fears? When do I go to Christ? And who is Christ? Do I see him rightly? Let's pray. Lord, we praise You. You're worthy of all glory and honor and praise. All creation will shout Your name. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, may that be our confession. May we hold fast to it because we know that it is You who holds us. You are not asleep. You are not unaware. And You do care. Thank You that we will not perish because You have sealed us with Your promised Holy Spirit. 
Lord, I pray that you sanctify your church, you encourage your church, that everything we do and say would be honoring to you and that we would surrender our fears before you, walk in light of our adoption and the confidence of the faith that we have in Christ Jesus, that by being united to him, we are sealed in him. His mercy and his steadfast love will never leave, and we praise you for this, and it is in his name we pray. Amen.